At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. I hope you're well. I'm good, actually. After today's conversation, I'm feeling quite hype. <laughs> I uh, I really hope that that's the same impact it's going to have on you. Now, we've had some really hard episodes in the last month or so, amazing episodes with incredible people. But you know, things that talk about the systemic oppression that women face. And this certainly does come up in today's episode, of course. But I would say the overall vibe that you can expect is feeling fucking invincible, feeling like you can do anything. Our guest today is Jeannie Yashiri, who is an extraordinary stand-up comic. I've looked up to her my entire life and she has had such an amazing story, not only in her life, but also in her career. And so we kind of mostly focus on the fact that she does not give a fuck. She backs herself in a way that I've almost never seen anyone do so. And I love it so much. And it's so empowering. And she doesn't believe in the rules around color. And she doesn't believe in the rules around women. And she doesn't believe in the rules around age. She is in her 50s and is now breaking through glass ceilings that one would never imagine a woman over the age of 21 would be able to do. She's an example to all of us as to when it comes to self-respect, self-belief, perseverance, and making your own rules in life. She has paved such an incredible path for other women that come after her, especially women of color. We really do get into the limitations that she's faced, but most of all, how she has overcome them with such spectacular glory. And so... I would like to offer you a trigger warning that there are mentions of of racism in this, but because of course that is something that she has faced as a as a dark-skinned black woman, especially in the 90s and noughties coming up in England for fuck's sake. We're going to fall in love with her. Her confidence is such a breath of fresh air and I just left with my chest all puffed up feeling so excited for you to hear it so message me tell me what you think and please enjoy the extraordinary genie sherry Gina bloody Yashiri, you are one of my all-time faves. I can't believe you're on my podcast. I can't believe this is how we get to properly meet face-to-face. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm in New York right now, soaking up that wet, humid heat and uh, doing shows and just living my best life before I go to London and then go back to LA and back to work. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's quite poignant to me because I, I sort of grew up just at the kind of the beginning of where you were really popping off in England and then suddenly you were gone and you just left me 
You just abandoned, you abandoned me. One of the only prominent funny women and a funny woman of colour. Like I, like you were, you were all I had. And then, then you left. Why'd you go? I had to to leave. Why'd you go, babe? I hit that glass ceiling, man. It's low, isn't it? It's really low. It's extremely low. And it got to the point where I was like, I'm going to keep, I can stay here and be in the token black woman on Mock the Week, or I can go and see what, else is out there in the world for me and the last straw well two of the last straws were my you know michael mcintyre used to open for me now for americans that listen michael mcintyre is kind of like our young seinfeld he's the biggest comedian in england mm-hmm. right now right he's on everything he used to open for me and then suddenly Within a year's period, he went from opening to me to stadium-filling multimillionaire. And I'm like, these white boys are allowed to have this trajectory and we, we just don't get it as people of colour, especially women of colour. And I was like, I've got to get out of here. i got to get out of here, otherwise I'll end up being just this old, bitter comedian hating all the youngsters coming through and succeeding. So I had to go and shoot my shot. So I had to leave you. I had to leave you. How how old were you when you made that jump? Oh my god, I was mid. I was like thirty five when I left, so I wasn't young. I've been in the business a long time, 10, 12 years at that point. I started when I was like twenty three, twenty four. So I'd been going a while. And, and what uh, yeah. was the other straw that that broke the camel's back? Um, so I remember when because the BBC they were always you know dangling carrots. If you just do this for us, do that for us. One day you'll get your own sketch show, your own show. And then uh, Jocelyn G got a show. She was one of three non-blondes. Remember that was the, mm-hmm. there was all these hidden camera shows. And uh, three non-blondes was three black girls who were going around doing pranks on people. And they got really big on, on BBC. And then Jocelyn G, one of the, those girls got her own show. And I was like, well, then that's my opportunity gone because there's only room for one of us. And she's also black, female, Nigerian heritage. I was like, well, then if they, it felt like being passed over for promotion because I'd been the one all these years jumping through all the hoops and she'd come up behind me and they jumped me and gave her a show. Now, I wanted to be happy for her. Like, we should all be happy for each other succeeding. Mm. But as a black woman, I knew that her succeeding meant that I failed, which means because there weren't, you know, there's room for a million similar white guys on TV. But when it comes, I remember going for a meeting with Channel 4 years ago and the head of comedy Channel 4 at the time said to me, yeah, we love you, but we've already got Richard Blackwood. Like, what the hell has that got wow. to do with? She actually said that in wow. my face. Let those words come out of her mouth. So, yeah, when Justin got her show, I was like, well, that's the end of my career in this country. That was them telling me. Uh, you are not the one. We, we, we've decided your face doesn't fit. We're jumping you and going to the next person behind you. So that was when I was like, I've always dreamed of living in the States since I was a kid. Uh, I just thought they had better toys than us, better everything than us. I used to watch all the mm-hmm. American TV shows and I was an avid watcher of Melrose Place. The first iteration, not this bullshit remake. <clears throat> and I, my dream was to live in an apartment with a pool in the middle and have cool friends that lived in the same block as me. So that was my dream. So as soon as I, I got kicked in the face with the Justin G show, I was like, I am getting the fuck out of here. 
And um, an opportunity came up, um, Last Comic Standing, which was a kind of a talent show for comedians in America. And I got on that and I got through to the finals of that. And that got me a two-year work visa. And I put my house on the market, sold and gave away everything I owned and said to go through this massive party saying goodbye to everybody. I'm going to America and I'm not coming back. And I came and I never went back. <laughs> I mean, you and me both, we did the same thing. I was about five years younger than you were. I was 30, which right. again, even then I was told that's too old. It's too old to start again. You're done. If you haven't made it by now, you're not going to make it somewhere new. Wow. And I, because the only thing I was being considered for was to be a contestant on reality TV shows. Oh God! And I was yeah. like, I've worked a really long time as a proper broadcaster, as a proper journalist. Yeah. To now only be relevant as you know, like as as a kind of manipulated token of. Yeah fake real tv and and that's no disrespect to reality tv stars it's just that that wasn't for me and it's not what i'd clearly been training for i wasn't famous for being famous yeah i was i was actually working towards something and so i uh, i had a similar moment of complete frustration and left and and i was met with so much doubt were you met with a lot of doubt from like even people who loved you who were like what are you doing why are you throwing all this away because you were a household name when you left yeah, but I didn't have household name money. You know, that's the thing. I was, that, I was that girl who was on everything, but I wasn't getting the fruits of that. I was always the guest on What The Week or the talking head on. Everybody loves the 70s. Everybody loves the 90s. Everybody loves the 2 You know, so I was doing lots of that stuff. But it wasn't, I wasn't getting anything substantial out of it. I was just like, oh, she's good. She's consistent and she ticks all the boxes. So I was getting booked for lots of things, but it wasn't turning into, 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 into anything concrete. So when I said I was leaving, everyone thought I was crazy. Like people laughed at me, laughed at, comedians laughed at me. Like I remember some racist white comments going, ah, what's she going to do? Go American, tell her African jokes. No, you know what? And that's, that's, and I realized when I was leaving what they, what they really thought of me. And yeah, my family and friends were like, but, you, you don't know anybody in America and you've got no show, you've got nothing. Uh, like, and all they, you've got a two year work visa, you're going to have to come back. And I was like, oh, don't worry, I'm going to turn that work visa into a green card. Trust me, I, I believe in myself. So, yeah, there was a lot of doubt, especially when I sold my house and was like, I'm going. I literally turned up in America with two suitcases to my name. Same. And, uh, they thought I was crazy. But Everyone I- thought I was mad. Look at us now, Jamila, look at us now. And I think it's really important because I think regardless of your gender, but especially women then, especially women of colour, especially black women, they are never, like you're told that you're lucky to even get a shot once in your life. So to dare to take a second new shot when you are 30 or even over 40 or 50 or whatever, you are, you are laughed out the fucking building. And I think it's really important for people like you and me to be public, be visible, say that we, we were, you know, we were failing in reaching our ambition somewhere and then backed ourselves enough to know that then if you, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again and move somewhere else and take a big risk and, and, yeah. and, and it, it was a and big be risk. your own champion. Yeah. I, it was a big risk. I knew cause I, you know, I don't have the look. I don't have the Hollywood look. I don't have that. I, I, I I'm older. I'm dark. I'm not, you know what I mean? So I, I knew it was going to be a struggle, but I was like, I'm good at what I do. And if I just keep doing it and just keep working, something will happen. 
And it took a long time. I've been in this country 15 years. So like I've made it at 50. It's ridiculous. But you know what? At least I made it and I'm ready by the time I made it. You know, if I'd made it when I was 28, I would have definitely spunked it all. I know myself. So it was a long, hard struggle. Coming to America, they didn't know what to do with me. I do shows and they're like, you're really funny. You're really great. And I pitched TV shows to networks and nobody, they just didn't get it. And, uh, you know, it was a long, hard slog, but I never stopped believing that I'm talented enough and I'm good enough. I just was like, one day somebody will see, because these people ain't seeing it, but hopefully one day somebody will see it and bet on me. And it did eventually happen. (laughs) I I fucking love that. I think it's it's such an important story to tell. And (laughs) even though I know it's probably been long long and frustrating and and maybe there were moments where your self-belief faltered. I mean, where does it, where does this come from? Where does, where does this innate sense of self, were you always this determined? Have you always been this way? Were you pushed into it by other people's doubt? Yeah. I mean, part of it is the immigrant work ethic, you know? I'm I'm, I'm my mother's daughter. My mother's a Nigerian immigrant to England. She came here, you know, she came from a wealthy family, but then as is the patriarchal society, when her father died, all the money was left to her son, her her older brother, his eldest son, who spunked everything. So, and she was left pretty much penniless in England and had to start again in England in the 60s, 50s and 60s, where they still had signs on their doors that said, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. So this was the England that my mum found herself in. And she had to make her way and she worked her ass off to do it and ended up starting her own business. So it's that immigrant work ethic. I was like, well, I want this, so I'm going to work my damnedest to succeed. And my mum didn't come to this country to have failures of children. So, you know... I had to, and if I left engineering, I was an engineer and I left that to pursue the comedy. So my mom was like, you are leaving engineering to become a clown. So I had to make sure I succeeded. hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, I'd have had to go back to engineering. And so how old are you when you left engineering? I was like 20, yeah, 23, I'm going to say 23. I've been working full time since the age of 18 because I refused to go to university because university meant uh, more years relying on my mum financially and stuff. And my mum was super overprotective and super strict. So I was like, I need my own money. I need my own. So I worked from the eight, I left school after A-levels and studied for my degree part-time in the evenings while I had a full-time job. Because I was like, I need money. I need independence. So yeah, it's 20. So I left school at 18, worked as an engineer right through to 24. And then my last job was working for Otis building and repairing elevators. And uh, after four years of horrendous racism, that is not even why I left. Like the racism, people, I'd come into work and people stick, I'd stuck bananas in my, banana skins in my pockets and there'd be pictures of monkeys above my overalls and people called me the N-word right to my face on a daily basis at work because I was working on building sites, like construction sites. There's no human resources. There's no, you know what I mean? So that's what I was working under and I was, you know, younger, qualified, these guys. One of the only women, I imagine, as well. The only woman. I was the first woman that Otis had ever had Otis UK in their hundred year history. I was their first female engineer. So I went through hell to open doors for other women. I don't know how many women they have working there now, 
Uh, but I only left after four years because they wouldn't promote me. I did the work that I was supposed to do. If you do a certain amount of hours, do a certain amount of jobs, you're supposed to move up the ranks. And moving up the ranks meant managing my own site. And they were like, they were like, you're good enough, but the guys ain't going to listen to a girl. So we'll give you the money, but we're not going to give you the responsibility. That's what I was up against. And then I went to the union and my union rep, I've been paying into the union for four years. My union rep refused to represent me. He was like, yeah, I don't know about any of this women's lift stuff, slip stuff, sorry. And I, oh I went to a tribunal. Like I took them to like a grievance hearing for their discrimination. And I went un, on my own, unrepresented by my union. And after that, I was like, I've got to get the fuck out of it again. Got to get out of it. So at some point, the building industry went for a slump and they were laying off people. They were never going to lay me off because I was their poster girl. But I marched into my manager's office and I was like, if you don't want to read about yourselves in the newspapers, you need to lay me off and give me my money and let me go. And so they did. And then I fell into comedy about four or five months after that. Well, I'm so sorry to hear what you faced. And, and it's really crazy to hear that you experienced racism because, as you know, there is no racism in the UK. Oh, no, it's a post-racial well, you and society. I been, We've no, had exactly. Obama now. It's over. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Meghan Markle is just purely evil. It's not a uh, matter of, like, racism in the UK. It's, it's, she's responsible for avocado farming. Like, she's done yeah. all kinds of terrible things. Horrible terrible things. woman. Yeah. Off-the-shoulder dresses. It's disgusting. Also, when she <laughs> held her bump when she was pregnant, very oh, manipulative. Horrible. I think we can both agree. When yeah. Kate did it, though, it was lovely. You know what I mean? Like, lovely, she's, protecting, she's protecting her bump. But when Megan did it, she's, she's using it, isn't it? She's <laughs> using it. She's a manipulative person. Not, it's nothing to, it's not colour. It's, it's unrelated to, to her colour. race. We yeah. just don't know her and we hate her. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um yeah, I am really sorry. And I, by the way, I do, you know, I said this to you over the phone, I really appreciate what, uh, what a wonderful voice you've been regarding the fight that many of us have had to call out the media for its inherent racism. Yeah. You've been absolutely amazing. And yeah. like, there's, there's nothing funnier to me than turning on the telly and knowing that it's like 6am in England. <laughs> and of course, like, it's like, and, and to see you there and you are just not pulling any punches and you are just <laughs> right in the face of the journalist first thing in the morning and confronting people with their own racism. And I just think that's such a hysterical way for people to wake up <laughs> in the day and also wake up to their own issues. You were just brilliant. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal 
that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. At Delta, we know Mike NHC prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, HC is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. There's a real defiance to you that I think is really stunning and very inspiring. Yeah, my attitude has always been, fuck it. I'm going to try it. What can possibly go wrong? If it works out, great. If it doesn't, I go, all right, then fuck it. Move on to the next thing. So I've always been a person, I throw my everything at whatever I'm trying to do. But your life isn't hanging in the balance of it, right? That's what it sounds. So what it sounds like is that you're saying, because that's what I have. Like I have high hopes, but low expectations. And I always have a kind of like backup plan, which is that I personally love snacks and would love to work in a deli. So I always know that I can almost definitely, obviously, the, I think tying my hair up in the hairnet is the only thing that we're going to struggle with. But barring that, like I know that I've got that as like my, my backup and my happiness doesn't hinge upon my success. I would like mm. to see what I'm capable of and mm. what, is out there for me. And mm. I would like to try and do as many things that scare the shit out of me as possible and break new ground for other women. But I also will be okay if it doesn't. I, there's a freedom and a liberation that that kind of um, feeds my madness where right. it also won't be the be all and end all of me. Like, I, And so I wonder when you say fuck it, do you really mean fuck it of like, let's just see how far I can go. And if I don't, I'll be okay. Or do you feel like because of your mother's work ethic, you cannot and will not fail? Oh, I can't tell. I, I'm also oh, right. Okay, super, so you're different then. I'm super competitive too. Right. So I want to be the best. <laughs> so yeah, uh, when I, I throw myself at it and I'm like, I th- and I do my damnedest to be the best and the most successful I can possibly be at it. And if I feel like this, I'm not going to be the best. Like, and, and enge- I was a good engineer. I was never going to be the best engineer. So... Yeah, I left earlier than I envisaged because of the racism and lack of promotion. But I didn't see my, I never thought I was, I'm going to be the best engineer in the world because I didn't have the passion for it. I liked it. I enjoyed the work, but I didn't feel that passion that I felt the first moment I was on stage and felt the laughter. And that's when I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So yeah, I threw everything at it because I was like this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I have to I have to succeed (laughs) and so then what happened why are you still here tell us the good news 
the good news is uh, I'm still doing my comedy, still putting my stuff out online, still working hard while still in the back of my mind thinking is in the next couple of years, I'm going to have to think of something else. And then I get a call out of the blue from my agent saying, Chuck Laurie wants to meet you. And I'm like, who? And my agent is like, Jesus Christ, put the phone down, Google him and call me back. And then I Google him and I'm like, oh, Chuck Laurie, Big Bang Theory, two and a half men, you know, Mike and Molly, massive, you know? And I was like, great, I'd love to go meet him. And I'm living in New York at this time. And my agent's like, well, you're going to have to fly to LA tomorrow. And I'm like, so they're flying me, right? And he's like, yep, they're flying you out for a meeting. And I was like, great. And they fly me first class. And my agent is like, no. And I was like, well, then I'm, I'm not going. And my agent is like, well, I said, I've been on the road for months at a time. I'm tired as shit. They want to meet me. They need to fly me out first class. I'm, not jump, I'm, I'm just not doing it. I know my worth. My agent's like, oh, my God. And then he calls them. 45 minutes later, and he calls him back. Okay, they're going to fly in first class. So that is a lesson number one. Always know your worth. I fly in, I fly in to LA. And closed mouths don't get fed. Exactly. You mm. know, I'm like, no, if they really want to meet me that badly, then let them fucking put their hand in their pocket and, and fly me out in, in comfort. So I fly up to this meeting. I walk into this meeting with Chuck Lorre, Al Higgins, Eddie Gordetsky, who are the two other exec producers on most of his shows and I walk in and uh, and I'm quite relaxed I've been making my own way my entire career making my own specials booking my own theatres when the comedy clubs wouldn't book me I go well fuck you then I'm just going to book a room and just get my own audience in and so I'd always been doing that for my entire career and I was doing okay at that point I'd sold a uh, I'd sold three different specials to various networks so I was making a good living and I'd I'd be making my own way. So I was not in awe of him. You know, when most comedians and writers, when they're make, go, going to meet someone like that, they're like, my God, this guy could make my career. He could be, I wasn't thinking that. I was like, whatever, because my thing is, I've met so many people like that who've given me the spiel. Oh my God, we love you. Oh my God, we're going to do this. And then nothing. So I've been disappointed so many times through my career and pitched shows where they'd got in the room, they'd been laughing and going, oh my God, this is a fantastic TV show idea. Oh my God. And then the next day they're like, mm, we've gone in a different direction. So I've been disappointed so many times that at this point when I flew in for this meeting, I kind of didn't give a fuck. I was like, whatever, I'll meet this guy, what's what? Like, and I only went because my agent was so excited. I wasn't that excited. I was like, oh, I'll go for this meeting, whatever. One of a long line of meetings that will probably end up in nothing. So I went to this meeting and we're in the room and he's like, I want to make this show. I've got an idea for a show. And it's for Billy Gardell, who I made Mike and Molly with. And I love him. And I'm, in my head, I'm like, what the fuck has this got to do with me? Okay, whatever. And he's like, I want to make another show. and But this time I want the female protagonist. I don't want to make another Mike and Molly. I want her to be Nigerian. So I'm thinking, I've never seen myself as a love interest, but fuck it, I'll go with it. And I was like, you want me to be that? And he's like, no, not necessarily. Um, what we want is, because we're three white guys, we can't write this. We just want, uh, we want you to be like a, a consultant to make sure that we're doing this right. And I'm like, an African consultant. So immediately alarm bells are ringing in mm -hmm. my head. So, you know, I have a very nice meeting with them, you know, and I go, well, this is interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll ponder it. And I was like, so how did you find me? And I'm thinking, 
They're going to go, oh, we've seen you on The Tonight Show. We saw you on Daily Show. We've seen your Netflix specials. We've seen the myriad of TV things that you've done. And we thought you were wonderful for this. And what came out of <laughs> Eddie's mouth next infuriated me. He was like, oh, we typed female Nigerian comic into Google. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, this is the epitome of white privilege here. You flown me across the country. You know nothing about me. You did no research whatsoever. You flown me across the country on a fucking Google search. Because this is what you guys can do. So this was in my head the whole time. But obviously I'm not an idiot. In the meeting, I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, cool. All right. Thank God for Google. And I leave the meeting and I call my agent and I go, Tell them thank you, but no thank you. I have no interest in being anybody's fucking African consultant. This sounds exploitative. I don't care who he is. This sounds bullshit. Let me just yeah. continue doing what I'm doing. And, you know, this is bullshit. And my agent is like, are you sure about this? This is Chuck Lorre. I'm like, I, no thank you. But luckily for me, I have people around me who I trust who will call me up and tell me I'm being a fucking idiot when I'm being an idiot. And that is my younger brother, Edwin, who lives in London. He's younger than me, but he's way smarter than me. And I listen to his advice. And my best friend, Lila, and they, who's also in London. And uh, I knew I was fucking up. You know, when it's at the back of your mind, in your subconscious, you know you're messing up. Because I told them about this. Like, if I, really, if I was 100% sure that I knew that this was bullshit... I'd have just turned it down and kept it moving. But I told them about it. It's almost like I wanted to be talked out of a stupid decision. Right. And they did. They called me up and screamed at me for two hours that I've been complaining for years about the lack of opportunity for black women. And here is the biggest sitcom maker in the world calling me to help him make a sitcom and you're turning it down. When your, your dream gig is to be the best friend on a sitcom, are you an idiot? So I was like, you know what? You're right. Mate. Oh, and this was a meeting that I had on a Monday morning with them. And my flight was supposed to go back on the Tuesday. So I was like, all right, I'll go back in and have another meeting with them and see. And I got back in the room with them. Then we started talking and um, I got a vibe off them. And I was like saying to them, okay, if we're going to do this show, you have to listen to me when I, when I tell you certain things. If I tell you that black people don't do that or something's racist or this is stereotypical or this is feeding into shitty stereotypical tropes, you have to listen to me. And they, they seem down and open. So then I started, I couldn't help myself. I started vibing and coming up with ideas. And, and then Chuck was like, you know what? Let's write a pilot. And this meeting that I was supposed to be flying back from Tuesday, on Tuesday back to New York, I ended up staying two and a half weeks. I made two pairs of underwear last for two and a half weeks because <laughs> I was in a room with these guys every day for two and a half weeks. And God sec- bless a bathroom sink yep, and some soap. Yep. <laughs> and the second day in, Chuck was like, forget this consultant thing. I just did the consultant thing because I don't know. I didn't know who you are and I didn't know if I'd be able to sit in a room with you. I don't suffer fools gladly. Uh, but you're good at what you do. You're, I like you. you. We gel well together. Forget consultant. You are now a co-creator and producer on this show. So mm. immediately in two days, up to there. And then, yeah. And obviously 
I wrote myself into the show. That show became Bob Hart's Abishola. And it turned out to be the biggest thing in my career so far, which is going to obviously open doors for more things. I'm now an executive producer, writer, and actor on the sitcom that's about to go into season four. So going from looking at other options and possibly leaving this industry, I'm now on a successful TV show. So you just never know where it's coming from or how it's going to happen. You just got to be open. Yeah, or when. I rate you so much. I rate (laughs) you so much, like for so many things, but especially carrying on like you... Things like that remind me to continue to persevere. Mm -hmm. And it's so important and it's so beautiful the way that you do not allow an expiration date to be something that you subscribe to. You have no expiration date. You are (laughs) like you are going until you drop dead or until you say (laughs) otherwise. And so many of us don't feel like we are allowed to be our own boss. Mm. We don't feel like we're allowed to self-determine our shelf life. And you just don't do shelf life. Well, because I was born with a shelf life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I come into an industry not fitting the ideals of beauty and age and whatever. So my shelf life was non-existent when I came into this industry. So I've always been fighting those preconceptions of what I'm supposed to look like, what I'm supposed to sound like, how I'm, how much I'm supposed to weigh, all of that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, yeah, I didn't even have a shelf life. I can't even say that. I didn't even. Have I was going to say like when yeah. that maybe that's part of the magic is like you're not yeah. even supposed to be here, so yeah. there's no rule book. Yeah, you're so a, like you're like... you're breaking the rules just by entering each and every one of these industries. Yeah, it's fuck. It's so fucking brilliant. And then how <laughs> does it feel? How does it does it feel like anything like because because the the one thing I notice a lot of in LA and I like, I think you probably and it's also it's it's everywhere actually and it's also within multiple different industries but my predominant experience has been in show business. When people reach that goal, immediately their goalpost moves in a way that I understand, but also makes me a little bit sad where they don't look around and, you know, smell the flowers. They don't, they don't get, allow themselves to enjoy it. It's like, well, now I need to do even more, you know? So, so what has your journey been? When I I don't say that with, sorry, I don't mean that that to come across as judgmental, but, but, but where are you at with all that? I am one of those people. <laughs> I, I thought you might I be. As soon as I started I saying it, I was like, I thought, fuck. <laughs> I am one of those people. I never thought I would be. I was like, if I just get this, yeah, I will be It's so... a bug, isn't it? But now I've got it and I'm like, okay, this is good. I'll keep this running for as long as I possibly can because this is great. And then what's next? And, and then I have to physically stop myself mm. from looking sideways at my peers. You know, because... I tell you, when I was constantly comparing myself to others, it held me back because it made me angry and bitter. And I felt, and I thought, even though I, I didn't feel it was constricting my performance and stuff, I felt it did, it did my aura, my spirit. The moment I was like, you know what? I sat myself one day down one day years ago and just like, you know what? Fuck it. Look, you're, you're in a job that you love. Some people do jobs their entire lives that they hate just mm-hmm. to put food on the table. You're doing something for a living that you love doing. You're not working for anybody. You have complete freedom over your own. You know, you've got agency. Just enjoy it. Stop looking at other people and going, why has they got that and I haven't? Just enjoy that. And the moment I let go and started just enjoying what I was doing, 
It felt like the universe opened up. Suddenly more opportunities started coming to me. And, and which culminated in this TV show. So then I'm on this TV show. I'm exec producer, I'm writing, I'm acting. I'm just, I'm doing the best I've done in my career so far. And then I'm looking at other people going, wait, how come their show is getting more accolades and then we should be getting Emmys? So I find myself doing it again and I have to rein myself in again and go, hold on a minute. You're in a position where you would have dreamed of being five years ago and now you're back getting into that same negative mindset of looking at other people's shows and going, wait, our show's better than that show. Why aren't we getting, you know, write-ups in this paper and getting written up for Emmys? And so... I've got to get myself into that, but I'm back into a positive mindset and just keep concentrating on what I'm doing. But I'm constantly, yeah, I'm like, I want more, I want more. And I've got to allow myself to enjoy this moment and just go, holy shit, you know? I'm well, not this, only, this industry not breeds only, that. It relies on us yeah. feeling like that. Because if we, if we, you know, they can keep us on the hamster wheel because a lot of people make a lot of money off of what we do by just, like, by helping the us get in the door, but then sitting back as we continue to go on the hamster wheel for years and years and years. So if we maintain that fear state of what's next, how can I get bigger? How can I make more? Then then they only profit from it. And I'm not talking about my specific team or this, that, and the other. I've got a great team who are very okay with the many, many breaks I take. Um, but but I'm just saying that this whole industry, music, like all of, all of it yeah. is designed for a rat race and we have to thoughtfully take ourselves out of it. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Yeah. And so I think that that's a, I think that it's a good thing to kind of strike a balance of nothing wrong with ambition, but also yeah. I want you to, I want you to see what I see, you know, like when I, yeah. when I look at you and how much you're one of my comedy heroes, <laughs> I, I, you, you have been killing it so much longer than you've realized. And you've meant so much to like me as a little kid and me as a grown woman. Now you, <laughs> you, you have done and achieved so much. You've broken through so many ceilings for the rest of us and so I hope that I really hope that in a genuine tangible way you're able to to feel that and appreciate how hard you've worked and what you've done for so many people I mean yes I do because it's very I know, abstract I know I know that a lot of people have come to me and said you know and you know I remember talking to Daniel Kaluuya you know these are young actors who are winning Oscars and and I'm, I'm, for me, I just see myself as little old me doing my comedy, trying to make it. But then I speak to someone, Daniel, like Daniel, who's saying, I've been watching you forever and da, 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 da. I really appreciate what you've done. And I go, oh shit, 
London oh, Hughes okay. was on this podcast talking about you. Like yeah. you were a part of her inspiration to come over here and do exactly the same thing. She wasn't getting her flowers in the UK. She came over here and now she's writing like three TV shows. She's got a book coming out. She's That's fantastic. I mean, it's, got it's a wonderful. Special, like it's wonderful, and I love that. I love that. Um, and I love it now that I'm doing well because back in the day it frustrated me because I'm like all these people coming up behind me. I'm. I felt like I was opening doors and then being left open, oh, holding the door while everybody runs through it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. what it felt like for me. I was like, great, I'm glad I'm opening doors and people see the potential, what they can do. But I've been left holding the door. So now I feel better because at least I now feel like I'm reaching the potential that I knew I could reach. And now I can... I'm much happier for everybody else that's also succeeding. Whereas before I'd be happy for you, but I'd be like, fuck, they came up 10 years after me and they're getting all this stuff and I'm not, you know what I mean? So I can relax a little bit now because I can go, okay, good. At least I got a piece, you know? Yeah. It sounds weird, but yeah, it sounds selfish. I don't think it sounds, I don't think it sounds weird. I don't think it sounds selfish. It just, you're incredibly ambitious, you're incredibly competitive, mm. and you're probably aware of the fact that you need to probably strike a bit more balance in that for the sake of your own oh, joy. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I've got to a point, I'm like, you know, I made it late. So my thing is, I need to do everything I can in the next five years to make myself comfortable where then I can calm down and not do, because I'm not one of those people, I'm, I'm ambitious, but I'm also slowing down because I'm like, I'm older now. I don't want to be working at the frenetic pace that I was in my 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, great. I've got this show now. I'm making this certain amount of money. I want to make more money in the next five years so I can relax and then only work when I feel like it. And that's what I'm trying to aim towards now. What's your next big goal? What have you got in sight? I'd like to, I've got a memoir out. I've got a book out called Cat Candid and it's about my life growing up in London and, and all those experiences that I've talked about are in the book. And um, I want to turn that Along into with some, many more outrageous many and more outrageous. hilarious stories. It's so good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I think it's a good book and I wrote it myself. No ghostwriter. I wrote that shit myself. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I'd like to turn that into something. I've got some interest in, from a production company who want to buy the rights to it and make it into something. So that would be my next baby, I think, after this, is to make the book into something. But I'm just, what I'm enjoying now, as well as my own success, is creating opportunities for other people. Like, I've been able to, I look across my set and I look at all the black writers and black women writers and black, and that, I, that I'm... I've created work for, and these actors, Nigerian actors who would never have got the opportunity to be on a show like this where they can be their authentic selves. And I love that I've been able to create that for them. You know, I remember I made sure that whenever they were auditioning Nigerian actors for this show, I made sure I sat in that audition. So when they walked into the room, they immediately felt at ease when they saw me sitting there because they were like, oh, this is legit. I'm not going to be asked to do any kind of buffoonery. I know because Gina is sitting there and, you know, and I made sure I was at all their auditions, you know, and a lot of the actors on the show came up to me afterwards and they were like, it made all the difference when we walked in and saw you sitting there. And we need more of that in this industry. So I'm, I'm happy that I'm doing that. So I'm kind of moving in that direction now. I'm like, I want to do more of this. I like the exec producing and being in in charge of making decisions and 
and, and, and giving people opportunities. So who knows? That might be the next phase. Well, I can't career. wait. I can't wait to see it. And I think you're going to have a really wonderful, long life full of lots of surprises. And I, I mean, so. you seem happy. Do you feel happy? Oh, I'm definitely happy. I'm happier, much happier. <laughs> I am. I am. I feel good. It's great. You are the embodiment of nevertheless, she persisted. <laughs> like I've never, I've never, I don't think I've ever met someone who embodies that more than you, Gina. And, and so my last question to you before you go to go off and conquer the fucking world and help others <laughs> to do the same. Gina Yashiri, what do you weigh? I weigh my perseverance. Um, my refusal to be told no, my refusal to let other people tell me what I should be doing and what I should not be doing and how far I should be able to go and, and what denotes success for me. Um, yeah, I weigh my, my mother's work ethic and her genes, her strong genes. <laughs> <laughs> well it sounds like you weigh all great things uh loads of love thank you for everything and i really mean everything i i continue to look up to you so much and Aww, thank and you. i hope i hope you can access that pride in yourself that we all feel when we look at you one day right now i'm too busy i've got my nose oh, for to the grindstone i've got my nose to the grindstone <laughs> i've got to keep working <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take you on a holiday one day. That's it. We're going to have to just kidnap you and make you relax and enjoy yourself. Listen, um, I want right. to come and be in the audience at Legendary. That is, that will be my holiday. The next season of Legendary, I want to be in that crowd. Because that looks like it. a party. That looks All like over a it. Party. It is really, really fun. Lots of love. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh my resilience and resourcefulness. I weigh the ability to get through whatever shit life gives me. I weigh the power to keep going. I weigh being myself. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.